Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Just don't know what's going on. And B, a lot of us don't know what's going on. I'm um, talking about the fact that the computer systems in Luzerne County, uh, they were attacked. It was a cyber attack. And I was sitting there going, who can we talk to to kind of like go through the basics and then it hit me and we first had this guy on the show during this past election cycle and he mentioned a lot of cybersecurity stuff and I, he said if everyone had me back on i thought you know this would be a great time and um well things didn't go his way a few weeks ago i'm so happy you're here now because you are an expert in cybersecurity. you're assisting you're the assistant teaching professor of uh information science and technology is that correct it's uh, mark friedenberg uh, Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Are you there? I'm here. Oh, okay, cool. Um, are you at Penn State? That's right. Yeah, University Park. Okay, cool. Um, now, you are a cybersecurity expert. That's right. And uh, how closely are you following what's happened in Luzerne County? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm reading what's in the papers, and I, I think there's probably a lot that the county officials don't know yet, and there's probably some information that they're not able to share, but we have the I think the broad strokes of the story are that a county employee uh, got an email with a, a file attachment, uh, double-clicked it, opened it, and that basically gave the bad guys access to the computer network, and it spread to multiple um, agencies or, or departments within the county government. And that's really the the scary thing. You know, this was a. It seems like this may have been timed that the initial what we might call sort of the, the penetration into the network could have happened some weeks ago and it was timed to they call it detonate or to you know take information out or disable systems during the memorial day holiday weekend when it would be a little bit harder to defend against and, and take efforts to remediate against it and that included the election uh, board was impacted by it and yeah. so if you think about, well, the elections board was impacted over Memorial Day weekend, maybe no big deal, but it could have been timed to be impacted during the election. And that's really the, the nightmare scenario. In, in uh, you know, one, two things. Number one, uh, someone, I can't mention the name, but I had a discussion with someone who's working in and around this and said, just off the record, you didn't hear it from me, but like this was a lot more intricate and a lot more detailed than people really know. It's really affected day-to-day -day business. Um, it probably because as you're explaining it, I didn't know what the Memorial Day aspect of it. The fact that they timed it to go off—that's <laughs> who who does this stuff generally? Is it just kids sitting there, like the stereotype of kids just creating chaos, or is it like is it the Russians or who's doing this and what is their purpose? Chaos or is it to steal information to use it against us? You know, I can't speculate for this particular case, um, but certainly Russia, uh, North Korea, Iran. Um, these are countries that have certainly the capability and that has taken advantage of timing of uh, there have been attacks over, you know, Fourth of July weekend, uh, for example, or the holiday, because it's just it's, it's harder for us to, to respond to it. And the goal might be to disrupt systems. The goal might be to kind of case the joint. Maybe they case it in Memorial Day 2019 and 
prepares them for November 2020. Of course, I'm just speculating. Sure. Uh, it could be to, to take information out. Uh, it could be all kinds of things. And the, the unfortunate reality is that all the, the, the technical measures in the world, we can put those in place. And um, the county, it sounds like they had great systems. They, they had a, uh, apparently a, a system in place where if you would get an email from somebody who doesn't work for the county, there would be a little reminder, you know, don't open up, the, don't click links, don't open the attachments. But somebody did it anyway. And yeah. humans, uh, they're always the weakest link in these kinds of things. Not that they're weak, but it's the weakest link. The human element. The type of social engineering yep, takes advantage of people's inherent trust in each other. And that is more often than not the way that these attacks start is you, you trick somebody, you lie to them. In situations like this, and I don't know how, I mean, I don't expect, like, a. I don't know, an accurate statistic, but do, do, do companies sometimes blame the person who opened the email when this stuff happens, or they usually just go, I mean, it could have happened to anyone? Um, I, I don't know if they, you know, kind of throw them under the bus or anything. In a, in a technical sense, I suppose it is the employee's fault, but um, it, it can happen to anybody. Um, you know, just within Penn State, it's this public information. I mean, they do tests. They'll send kind of fake emails like this to employees and staff and students to see who clicks on them. And the data that come back are, are really eye-opening. You know, for uh, faculty, it was over 50% sort of fell for this fake attempted attack email. Uh, it is uh, it's a, a tricky technical problem and perhaps an unsolvable human problem. Now, uh, what can people do on an everyday basis here? Like, so people are listening. They have their smartphones. They have their home computers, their laptops, their tablets, whatever it is they have. Um, what can they do? Is it as simple as just don't open emails, or are there different things that you say, like, here are three things you should avoid and you should be okay? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Um, so certain, opening emails, fine, um, but you got to be careful This uh, clicking on links or opening attachments, um, if, especially if you get, like, a Microsoft Word attachment or an Excel file or a PowerPoint um, those can very easily, and certainly like an EXT file, a program that would run on a Windows computer. That's EXT stands do, for extension, correct? Uh, the, yeah, EXT, executable file. Executable, yeah. sorry, sorry. And, um, you know, that, that could do anything. And it could even be, it kind of can burrow underground for a period of time, or it, you may not even notice that it's happening. So be extremely cautious with opening attachments. It's much, much safer uh, to use something like Google Docs or Microsoft Office Online, where you're going to a website, you're not downloading a, a file that you're going to run on your computer. So that's really, really important for email. That's one of the, the best um, uh, things that you can do to protect your, what we call your security hygiene. Um, another one is to make sure that you're using different and strong passwords for every different kind of service that you're using. Uh, a lot of people probably have Gmail, for example. You want to make sure that you're using a different password for your Gmail, your Google account, than you are for Facebook or than you are for your bank. And it's easy to say that, and people probably know that that's a good idea. Uh, it, it's harder, though, to try to keep track of all those passwords. Um, there are tools called password managers that you can use that will generate strong passwords for you that are long and filled with random characters. And that's really important because if somebody can get your password for Facebook, that means now they can go log into your Google account. And then for a lot of people, if you live your life in, in Gmail like I do, then it's kind of game over. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, was, and, I always wonder when it comes to, like, Facebook, like, well, why would they want to target me? I mean, is it just because I'm an access point to other people? It could be. I mean, it also could be that these attacks can be pretty indiscriminate. Uh, you can send them out at scale. 
And, you know, as the defenders, as the good guys, we need to be uh, perfect 100% of the time, and the bad guys only need to succeed one time. So they might attack you, they might attack me. They, it, it could even be not really targeted in any kind of human-specific way. It just goes out to everybody. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, that's a concern because if you can get into, say, within the county, if you can get access to the network through one employee, then you can get in and you can start to move department to department. And, and that's really uh, that's really the problem. And the uh, the other thing I want to make sure I mention is um, some, what's called two-factor verification or two-step verification. This is critical as well. Even if the bad guys get your password, if you have two-factor authentication or verification where um, you may have seen, like, where a bank will text you a code to your phone, yeah. that's okay. Um, it's actually pretty easy to get access to somebody's text messages. Uh, it's much more it secure is. to use an app on your phone. It is, unfortunately. Yeah, you could call up. Well, I don't want to give advice, but <laughs> trick Verizon into resetting. Uh, send all adjacent texts to me from now on, that sort of thing. Uh, if I know some information about you, that's probably not all that hard to find, like your last word, your social, or your mother's maiden name. Uh, that's a big vulnerability. That's a that's a business and people problem, too, not a, not a technical one. Um, so it's better to use apps like Google Authenticator or Duo Mobile that run on your phone. And that way, even if the bad guy has your password, unless he's also got your phone, and if he's on the other side of the world, he probably doesn't, you're still going to be safe. Yeah, um, and you said those uh, uh, security password managers, the ones where it pops up. I just recently saw these and started using them at first. I was like, no, I'll never remember that. But then I realized it saves it with my login, so it generates this, like, 25-digit code those are safe at, at yeah, this point. Those, I mean, yeah, um, you know, there, there's some well-known brands. And, you know, LastPass is one. I use one called OnePassword. Um, find a reputable one. But, yeah, they're very, very secure. And it's even more convenient. Like, if you have your phone, you know, if you have a fingerprint sensor or face recognition or anything like that, you can unlock your phone with that, and it puts in the password for you automatically and you go about your business. Nothing to remember, nothing to forget, and nothing for the bad sure. guys to get. I have a, a tip I want to throw to you. I don't know if you've ever heard this one. I, I, I don't think I came up with this, but I started using it. It's super helpful because um, the question they always ask is, what's your mother's maiden name? And I mm -hmm. figured that could be something someone could easily find out. Okay, So my thought was this. Uh, so I go through, the, they sometimes we'll give you a list of questions, like 25 questions. Here's my tip. Pick a random question and have a random answer that you use as your go-to answer. So, you know, where was the first, I don't know, what, what is your favorite meal? And your answer could be Florida. It doesn't make any sense. Nobody could possibly guess that. But that's your answer. It's just about matching. So you, you basically take a question, give a nonsensical answer that you know, like you always answer with that gets you into things and it helps you you know av avoid it's like coming up with like a, like a weird quirky password does that make any sense to you it it does i mean it's a great idea i actually i do that too i do it in a slightly different way rather than using florida as the answer why well, don't I'll use florida or or you know some other one single answer that you would remember i just pick a random word or something i see around the room and then i write that down in my password manager what the question is and then the answer uh, and that way, yeah, so, you know, somebody could easily find my mother's maiden name, but it, it's not going to do them any good if it's a random word instead. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, it's crazy. I'll tell you something. I, I know I'm not the only person. I'm not sure how old of a guy you are, but I think you're. I got a few years uh, on 35. you. Thirty-five. Thirty-five. Okay, I got ten years on you. So here's where it got tricky for most people with passwords. I was fine with passwords. I had one or two good passwords I used, maybe even up to five at one point. It got tricky when the first company said you need a capital letter. 
Oh, my God, you have no idea how that changed everything. <laughs> I, I once spent a good two hours trying to get into an Apple account. Couldn't figure it out. As it turns out, it was a ca- it was my regular password with a capital letter. And then they started saying symbols. Whew. It wasn't like for years. <laughs> but I feel, like, I feel like I'm secure, but I have to change some passwords. And now I'm freaking out a little bit here. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that there are, for computers, it's very, very easy to try, you know, basically trillions of combinations of, of letters, punctuation, and numbers to figure out the password. And the uh, the larger the possible space is, we would say, the, the key space by including a symbol or uppercase letter, yeah. and certainly by not just using the minimum, like if, it, if there's a site that lets you use a character password, uh, that's probably not a great site, but use use 25, use 50, use 100 characters if you can. Wow. Your password manager is going to type it in, not you. Uh, it's much, much more secure. It, you know, it gets to like the age of the universe in time in terms of how long it would take a, a supercomputer even to crack it when yeah. your key is that big, when your password is that big. Do you have uh, one final tip here, and I, I let you get back to colleging? No. Uh, yeah. Working. <laughs> um, yeah. Somebody, um, somebody texted in. They said, you, you can't avoid opening attachments. Sorry. Like, say, a court report from a provider, an agency, and service. Is it as simple as if you see an attachment, unless you specifically know the person, or, you know, if you don't know the person, don't open it? And if, even if it's from a, it looks like it's from like a AOL or Discover Card or whatever, you make sure the email address looks legit? I mean, it. It's better to not. I mean, I, I understand that in some cases you may need to do it. I, I think it's really good if you had a, like a shared folder or something like on Dropbox, Box, or Google yeah. Drive, something like that. that. That's even better. But, yes, you know, the, the Internet was built uh, in the 60s and 70s by a bunch of idealistic nerds who weren't really thinking about cybersecurity and what our use of the Internet would look like in 2019 and 2020. And so security, authentication, identity was not built into it at any point. And email especially, it used to be extremely easy. I could send an email from president at whitehouse.gov. I mean, we did that as an exercise in class. Uh, it was very, very easy to do. Now it's a little bit harder, a little bit harder to take the spoof email addresses, but not impossible. Man. So, yes, looking at the email address very, very closely uh, is, is, is better than nothing. Uh, but I did have one, one last tip of, of sure, sure, time, yeah. which is uh, I'm very worried about people using public Wi-Fi networks. If you go to a coffee shop or a store that offers Wi-Fi, um, if it's the kind that you don't have to put in a password at all. You can basically think of that as everything that you type. Uh, you're going to be shouting that so that everyone in the store, anyone who's nearby, could see what you're typing in, including potentially passwords. Um, so you really don't want to use those kinds of public Wi-Fi networks. It's much better to use your, your cellular connection um, because your phone, it's not just when you're actively using it. I mean, your phone is sending and receiving email and doing all kinds of things, even if it's locked and asleep in your pocket. Uh, you got to be really, really careful with those public Wi-Fi networks. I think that's a big vulnerability we still face. The world is coming to an end. No, um, it's it's scary. We, we fix it, but yeah. Um, somebody said, where do, where do you get password managers? Can you give the names of those that you mentioned? Yes. Um, LastPass is one. I think it's LastPass.com. Uh, I use one called 1Password. It's the number one, and then the word password. It was the first um, one last, last, L-A-S-T? Correct, yeah, LastPass. Last and the other one's 1Password. There's a number of others, too, and they're, they're all better than you have, you know, using the same password, certainly, or, you know, putting them on sticky notes on your monitor. That's kind of like the cliche of really bad security. Uh, any password manager is, is better than that. Yeah. Um, is it, does the person online, too, have a question? Is that John Lucas? Does the person have a question? Or do they want to just chime uh-huh. in? I know you probably have to. Uh-huh. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I couldn't quite hear you, but somebody has a question, you said? I, I think, but I'm not sure. It just says cybersecurity. I don't know specifically what they want to say. So before I go to them, because um, I'm up against a break here as well. This is really interesting, by the way. Um, it's uh, Mark Friedenberg. You, uh, again, you work for Penn State University. You're assistant teaching uh, professor, correct? That's right. For, uh, for like, IT and such. And um, is it? Oh, okay. Uh, I'm a lawyer, too, and I haven't talked about that angle yet. Oh, my God, you're a lawyer. Jeez. Um, and the, insur- the cyber insurance, I'm glad the county had it. That's going to help them a lot to, yeah. to pay for some of the, the efforts they're going to need to fix everything. Do you have a second for a question? Absolutely. Yeah. i, I, I got to keep this a little quick because I'm, like, really late for a break here. But uh, Nate and Honesdale, what was your quick question? Hey, guys. I was just wondering about, like, uh, purchasing, uh, like, security software on, like, PCs. And wondering if that was exactly necessary because I know there's there's software that you can uh, purchase like with a yearly subscription, and then I've seen like free software and was wondering if one is better than the other, and whether or not it's necessary. Uh, so free software versus going out and buying one or subscription based versus I guess hard copies. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, I mean, yeah. I listen to his answer uh, off the air because I got to wrap this segment up. Nate, thank you for the phone call. Uh, Mark, what is your thought on that? You know, I think for, for Windows in particular, what you've got built in uh, is probably pretty good. Uh, some of the popular software, like uh, Kaspersky is a brand that people might have heard of, they actually may be linked to the Russian government in ways that we don't fully understand. Uh, I think Windows has really advanced um, over the past maybe five, ten years. The built-in security software is pretty good. If you follow some of the best practices we've been talking about, turn on the firewall, uh, use the tools that are built into Windows, I think that that's probably a pretty good start. Cool. Listen, we'll have to have you on again. Um, just, this is super informative. I'm getting a ton of messages here. And uh, I, oh, we, we don't. It was I, my pleasure. I, I, yeah, it was great. Um, again, it's uh, Mark Friedenberg, uh, cybersecurity expert. You work at Penn State University, your assistant teaching professor, also a lawyer. How about that? And uh, we don't. <laughs> we, we, in, in your challenge, everyone, find his mother's maiden name. Ready, set, go. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> hey, yeah. thanks for taking the time. We'll, we'll talk again. Okay, thanks so much. Appreciate it, Mark. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.